Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. What a good word for us this morning, Lord, and, and we know that it is true, and, and, and we pray that we would find it true now in these moments as we come to your perfect word. Would you come and be our teacher? Would you come and speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to the circumstances in which we find ourselves this morning, speak words of life to our souls, we pray in the perfect name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. If you're new with us this morning, we're in the middle of a series called Foolproof, looking at different topics in the book of Proverbs. And this morning we come to consider together the topic of friendship. So if you'd like to pull out the scripture reading that you'll find in your worship guide, uh, we'll read through these Proverbs together. Uh, The first one is the proverb that we said was so uh, central to understanding the entire book. Uh, The rest touch on our topic of the day friendship. So let me read to us these proverbs from God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever covers an offense seeks love But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the barrel breaks out. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Friendship then, let's consider this topic together. I wonder as you grew up, did you have a best friend? 
And, and now, who, who do you consider to be your, your closest friends? It's been a great week for me to reflect on friendship. We're just back from Bonnie, Scotland, and we had a, a brilliant time while we were there. My wee brother got married to just a, a great girl. We like her more than we like him in one of those situations. Um, got to spend time with my sister and her kids. They have four wee girls, so all our kids play like they see each other every day. Uh, we went up to my parents' new home in the Highlands, uh, an old manse that was built in 1776. What? And what a great year for that, huh? <laughs> Looks out over the beautiful Cromarty Firth. It's like being in paradise. It's the promised land where we are bound. We are bound indeed for, for Bonnie Scotland. Um, got to spend time with my grandparents, which is just a, a sweet and poignant thing when you're not sure you'll have another opportunity to. Uh, but we also got to spend a, a good time with, with just some great friends. We had dinner with three of them one night, and it was just a, a really good time. Uh, first of all, the guy called uh, Neil McRae. Isn't that a good Scottish name? Neil McRae. Um, guy I grew up playing football with. Really great guy. Uh, attended church from as well. Just loved seeing him. Uh, at that dinner, there was also a guy called Alistair Black. Great friend from university. And then a third guy with a really Scottish first and last name. A guy called Alistair McKenzie. And he's real. I'm not making him up. Okay, He's a real guy. Uh, a really wild, fun, hilarious guy that, that I met through church. And seeing those guys was great. You know, I, I grew up with those guys. I grew up with those guys. We shared the same passions, the same desires, the same drives. We would dream about what our futures uh, might hold. We would get in trouble together and mostly get back out of trouble again together. Uh, we stood as best men, as the others said, I do. And so when we get together again, we, uh, it doesn't matter how long it's been, we, we pick up like no time has passed and we laugh till it hurts and we have meaningful conversations as well. And it really is like no time has passed since those teenage years. Only the number of children that we have and the additional uh, pounds around the waistline assure us that some time has in fact passed since those, those years. When you think of friendships, what names come to mind? What faces come to mind? What experiences are brought up? Perhaps friends from your, your past. Perhaps friends here in, in the present. Perhaps a sense of sorrow that you never really had those friends that you'd really wished for. The Bible tells us, and we know from our own experience, that true friendship is one of the, the greatest gifts that we receive in this life. True friendship is one of the, the greatest gifts that we can enjoy here on this earth. And the Lord cares about our friendships and has a lot to say about them. And so we're going to consider some of his teaching this morning under, under two headings, two categories, two buckets of thought, if you like. First of all, we'll take some time to consider the theology of friendship, and then we'll consider the art of friendship. So the theology of friendship, how should we think about our friendships, about our relationships? And then the art of friendship, how can we be great friends? Let's do this together then, first of all, thinking about the theology of friendship. And throw rock, I've got four rocks that I want to throw in this bucket. Number one is, as we think about the theology of friendship, we start by remembering that friendship, number one, is not a created reality. 
Friendship is not a created reality. Now, we're not going to wax too philosophical about this, but we are going to remind ourselves that Christianity, the Bible, the gospel, has a fundamentally different approach to friendship than any other religion, than any other worldview, than any other philosophy. Why? Because of our belief in the Trinity. Because of our belief in the Trinity, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these three are one God, that God himself exists and has always existed from eternity past in a community of friendship, in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit together. And so I find this a beautiful thought, that friendship is an eternal reality. You understand that that friendship wasn't invented. It wasn't created like the sun and the moon and the stars. No, friendship has always existed at the very essence of our triune God. Friendship is inherent to who he is and is therefore inherent to the very fabric of reality. And I think this puts a new twist on how we think about friendship and and even how we think about each other. Why? Because, you know, golf isn't eternal, right? Father, Son, and Spirit didn't kind of fit in 18 holes from, you know, eternity past. And a good cup of coffee, that, that's not eternal. And you don't sit around, you know, at the eternal fire pit. These things aren't eternal. And yet, when you do these things, golf, coffee, fire pit, when you do these things with friends you're entering into a deeper reality. You're entering into an eternal reality. You're participating in something divine. In friendship, we taste and experience something divine that has been enjoyed by God from all eternity. And so Christianity really calls us to put tremendous emphasis upon relationships. Tremendous emphasis upon friendship. Tremendous emphasis upon each other. People sitting beside you in the pew right now are as valuable as as eternity itself. And we're called to be thoughtful about how we would engage with one another in friendship. So, first rock we're throwing in this theology bucket is that friendship is not a created reality. But that takes us to our our second rock, which is that it's not created, but, but we were, point two, we were created for friendship. Friendship's not created reality, but we were created for friendship. So this God who exists now in a community and has always existed in community made us in his image, made us as relational beings. You and I, the very essence of who we are, we are relational creatures. You have been designed to be, first of all, in relationship with God. This vertical relationship with him where he will be your God and we will be his people. And not just that, but you've been designed to be in horizontal relationship with each other. What does the Lord say? It's not good for the man to be alone. In other words, you and I have been hardwired for vertical and horizontal relationships. We have been hardwired to exist in community, to exist in friendship with one another. And so we need to realize, do we not, that that friendship isn't a luxury. 
Friendship isn't like a a kind of bonus in life, a nice cherry on top if you can get it. No, instead, friendship, relationship, is at the very essence of who we are. So that if we live outside of community, we find that something in our very humanity is compromised or subverted. This is why the experience of loneliness is so profound. Listen to one prisoner who spent five years in solitary confinement describe the experience. He says, after only a short time in solitary confinement, I felt all my senses began to diminish. There was nothing to hear except empty, echoing voices from other parts of the prison. I was so lonely that I hallucinated words coming out of the wind. There was no touch. Even time had no meaning. I found myself wondering if an event I was recollecting had happened that morning or days before. The very essence of life I came to learn during those seemingly endless days is human contact and the affirmation of existence that comes with it. Losing that contact, your sense of identity is lost as well. You become nothing. Here's the key line. Everyone knows that prison is supposed to take away your freedom, but solitary doesn't just confine your body. It kills your soul. We've been hardwired to be in relationship with one another. We were created for friendship. And so, again, Christianity calls us to put tremendous emphasis upon relationships, tremendous emphasis upon friendships, tremendous emphasis upon each other, on those we sit together with just now. This, though, this reality that we're called to, to play this out together takes us to the third rock I want to throw in this bucket. One, yes, friendship's not a created reality. Two, uh, we know that we were created for friendship. But three, do we not also know that we all struggle with friendship? We all struggle with friendship. Why? Because after creation comes fall. After creation comes fall. And isn't it interesting how early Genesis is it pains to show us how the fall brings with it a breakdown in relationship. So of course first and foremost the breakdown of that vertical relationship with God where once Adam and Eve would walk with him in the cool of the day now they hide themselves from him having rejected his good rule over their lives they now are no longer in intimate relationship with him. But isn't it then interesting how Genesis goes on to show that it's not just this vertical relationship that's been damaged, but the horizontal one as well. As soon as the fall happens, Adam and Eve start to bicker. They blame one another, and uh, this perfect marriage begins to disintegrate. And in just a few more verses time, what will happen? Cain will come, and, and he'll murder his brother Abel. That the breakdown in vertical relationship with God has brought horizontal destruction as well. And so we know that ever since the fall, all of our lives, and even indeed all of human history, we found relationships difficult, sometimes even undesirable. Now, I think this is clearly true, and and maybe especially true in our culture, that that we struggle with friendships. A a few reasons why. First of all, just because of the kind of rabid individualism of our day. There's this idea that Uh, you don't need friends, that you can make it on your own, that you must stand on your own two feet. It's left many feeling they don't need friends. It's led others to feel isolated and lonely. Along with this individualism, though, in in our culture, we also have a a very kind of rapid mobility 
And if you live in this area, you know that all too well, how transient this place is. You start to get to know someone, you start to form a relationship with one, you kind of find someone, you, just, you guys just click and it's going really well, and then before you know it, they're moving. Moving to a different town, moving to a different part of the country, moving to a different part of, of the world, perhaps. We find friendships difficult, individualism, mobility. Uh, thirdly, though, I think we also find friendships difficult in this area because of our idol our sin, our celebration of busyness. A celebration of, of busyness. You know, how are things going? Ah, good, busy. Right? That, that's our natural response. You know, to, to feel a sense of purpose, sense of achievement, a sense of success through filling up the calendar. It's a problem if a friend calls and says, do you want to do coffee? And you say, yeah, in three weeks. That's not relationship. That's not true friendship. And so, yeah, we face some uh, unique challenges in our culture, but I think also when we overcome these hurdles, um, we face the challenges that are common to, to all of humanity. Um, just sin makes relationships difficult. You know that country song? God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. <laughs> and people are crazy, right? And you know, we're not altogether sane ourselves, right? And so we find that uh, awkwardness creeps into our relationships and misunderstanding creeps into our relationships and confusion and and frustration creeps into our relationships because of our sin and the sin of, of others. So yes, Christianity calls us to put tremendous value on relationship, on those that you're sitting with even now. But if you find these relationships difficult, know that you're not alone. We've always found relationships difficult. That's common to our experience, which really takes us to the last rock I want to throw in this, this bucket. Friendship's not a created reality. We were created for friendship. We all struggle with friendship. But fourth, in the gospel, Jesus, Jesus has made us friends. Jesus has made us friends. After creation comes fall, and after fall comes redemption. And this is why the gospel is such good news to our souls, and it's true for our friendships as well. Yes, sin, not just generic sin, our sin, the way in which I sin, may have messed up our relationships, messed up our friendships with God and with each other. But Jesus wouldn't stand for it, which is exactly why he came. Jesus wasn't prepared to let things go on that way, which is exactly why he came. So yeah, we let go of him, but he refused to let go of us. And what does he do? He hangs on a cross. Abandoned by who? All his friends. Forsaken even by his father. Now, isn't that a profound thought in the context we've discussed this morning? The the eternal trinity... This community that has been together in relationship from eternity past is now on the cross severed as Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And receives no answer but silence. Christ's relationship with his friends is ruptured, but Christ's place within the Trinity is even impacted as he takes the curse our sins deserve. Which is why he did this. Don't you love John fifteen thirteen? Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life. For who? For his friends. <laughs> For his friends. Through Christ's act on the cross, our sins can be forgiven and sin's effects 
can be reversed. Our sins can be forgiven and sin's effects can be reversed. And so Jesus says, John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants, for servants don't know their master's business, but I call you friends. (laughs) I call you friends. In the gospel, we are befriended by Christ. Befriended so that our vertical relationship with God can be restored. That we can be in community, relationship, friendship with him. And as that vertical relationship it changed our horizontal relationships for, for ill, so this new relationship in the gospel changes our horizontal relationships for good. We have a new perspective. We have a new passion. We have a new power to love one another and to love one another well in the gospel. As we have been loved by Christ, so then we are able to love others. Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we go about that? How do we be good friends? Well, having looked at the theology of friendship, let's consider together a few moments the art of friendship. And if you want to pull out the scripture sheet that was in your worship guide, we'll see that uh, the book of Proverbs really has uh, four marks of, of true friendship, four things that we should all do in order to be great friends. Here again, I'm, I'm uh, borrowing from the work of Derek Kidner, great Old Testament commentator. If you're studying anything in the Old Testament, check out if Derek Kidner has written on it. He's been very helpful every time I've, I've come to him. But let's, let's look then at the book of Proverbs and these four marks, four things we should do in order to be good friends as we think about the art of friendship. First one, if we want to be good friends, we need to develop a sense of, point one, constancy. Constancy. You see, in the book of Proverbs, fair-weather friends are many. Fair-weather friends are are all over the place. Look at 19 verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And don't notice the, the shift there from the plural to the singular. Wealth will bring you lots of friends, plural. But a poor man loses even the one friend that he had. Or 1420, look at that one. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Fair weather friends all over the place in the book of Proverbs, but we also see another kind of friend. Look at 1824, second half of that verse. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or verse 17 of chapter 17, you see it there? A friend that loves at all times. See, Proverbs would teach us that true friends, and and a mark of true friendship is that friends are, are, are constant. Friends are there for each other. Friends are there for each other. Now, this doesn't mean that you spend you know, literally all of your time together. Didn't you enjoy 2517? Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you, right? Okay, it's good advice, right? Um, we're not saying that you spend all, all your time together. What, what it means to be constant is that you know, true friends are there for you no matter what. That's what constancy is. True friends are there for you no matter what. True friends are rock solid and dependable. True friends show up and they, they follow through. True friends love you when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. They have your back, will give you the shirt off their back. True friends love you at your best, but they also love you at your worst. And what a call that is for us to have that kind of consistency, that kind of constancy with each other, especially in this town. In this town, for so many people, you'll, you'll be 
you'll be valuable to them as long as you're useful to them. You'll be valuable to them as long as you're useful to them. But that's not how we've been loved in the gospel. That's not how we've been loved by Christ. I love John 13.1. We read that Jesus, having loved his own who are in the world, loved them to the end. Isn't that great? Loved them to the end. And their friendship we've received in him should create the same kind of uh, constancy in us. To be dogged and determined and tenacious in the way that we love our friends. Because I need you to love me when I'm lovable, but I really need you to love me when I'm unlovable. I'm profoundly grateful for the friends in my life who've loved me that way. Friends who I feel have given me so much and, and I feel like have received so little from me. And we all, we all need that. We all need those kind of friends. And, and I want to be that kind of friend. Don't you want to be that kind of constant friend? I wonder this morning, is that, is that how we love each other? Because isn't that a beautiful picture of what our community should look like? Dogged, determined, tenacious love. Constantly there for each other. I wonder if this is how you love your friends who are, who are far from the Lord. Because what a beautiful picture it is to them of the the power of the gospel, God's love for them, your love for them as well. First rock we're throwing in this bucket, constancy. Secondly, constancy, yes, that's good. We've got to be there for our friends. But in the process, we also need our, our second rock, which is comprehension. Comprehension or understanding, because we need to do more than merely hang out with our friends. We need to do more than than just hang out with our friends. We need to get to know them and understand them. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with getting together and having, you know, just a a good time and and a laugh together. But at points in our relationship, we need to be intentional to do more than that so that we get to know and understand each other, that we move toward a, a depth of relationship and aren't satisfied merely to skim along the surface having quite superficial relationships. Proverbs makes this point in the negative If you want to look at 25 verse 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Why would I be jovial and silly with you when you're really struggling? Because I don't know you well enough to know that you're really having a hard time just now. Or consider similarly 26 verse 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, oh, I'm only joking. Why, why would I take things too far? Because I haven't taken the time to understand that you really don't find this, this funny. That this is hurtful, not amusing. See, comprehension, this idea of getting to know our friends, is what friendship's all about. True friendship's all about knowing another person and being known by them. And we've got to be, in, we've got to be intentional about this. Could we be intentional about this. It was great when we were home. Um, I saw my friend Neil McRae at, at, at my brother's wedding. And we sat down. And honestly, after no more than two or three minutes, we did two or three minutes of the kind of, oh, how you doing? Good to see you. Blah, 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 blah. He said to me, oh, you know, how are you and Rosie doing? How's your marriage? You know? And I was like, bro, I'm the pastor. I ask the inappropriate questions here. <laughs> and it was great. Um, he asked me that because uh, he's my friend. And I gave him a true answer, because I'm his friend. 
It just took intentional, intentionality for us to, to talk and share and be known and, and know in that moment. And I want to be this kind of friend for others, and I'm sure you do as well. But, you know, I want to, are you intentional about getting to, re, to, to know your friends? Do you know what makes them tick? Likewise, are you vulnerable enough with your friends to let them know what's going on so that they'll really know what makes you tick? Friendship's about knowing and about being known. It's about comprehension of the other. Okay, third rock for this bucket. Friends who are constant, take the time to comprehend, will be able to, thirdly, speak words of what Proverbs calls counsel. Counsel. Constancy, comprehension, then counsel. Remember a a few weeks ago we did our study on on words and we we reflected upon the the power that, that a friend's words can have. We looked at Proverbs like 12, 18, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or 12.25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Or 15.23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. See, that the idea or the thrust throughout the book of, of Proverbs is that true friends are able to bring deep encouragement to your soul. They're able to speak into those things in your life that that matter most and speak life into those places to bring encouragement to your soul. So look at verse 9 of chapter 27. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Friends will speak the, the right word in the right way at the right time to bring encouragement to your soul. There's a group of guys that I get together with very religiously once a month uh, over at my house. And it's been amazing to experience the friendship that's developed as we've been consistent to prioritize that, that time together. And I can't tell you how often after, after they leave, I'm just grateful that they were there. And the interesting thing is, it's not that there was some like profound word of insight or some like particular light bulb moment. It's just that we talked and shared and they spoke into my life and I spoke into theirs. And as we did so, we encouraged each other toward humility. We encouraged each other toward courage. We encouraged each other to love our wives and our kids and to do our jobs well and to repent and persevere and to, to live life in the way that the Lord has called us to live life. And as, as they've done that for me, I, I want to be that kind of friend. I'm sure you want to be that kind of friend as well. You know, kind of friends who provide this kind of counsel, who look for opportunities to encourage their friends. Again, not some big insightful or profound thing, but simply listening to them, pointing them to the word, pointing them to the gospel, calling them to humility, calling them to courage, calling them to perseverance. We want to be a people who who look for ways to do this who will ask that question, who will say that word, who will send that note, knowing that our friends will be grateful for it. Counsel. Constancy, comprehension, counsel. Yes, last rock we're going to throw in this bucket of the art of friendship, finally, is candor. Candor or honesty. Because Proverbs would tell us that true friendships and the best friends, and I hope we've experienced this, the best best friends bring challenge as well as encouragement. So look at 29 verse 5. 
A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Or 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Or 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So the best friends tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. The best friends tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Uh, I'm using an example for me this summer. Uh, I've had to buy like two or three pairs of sunglasses this summer because I buy a pair, I wear them for a week or so, and then they keep cracking along like the top of the lens here. And so it cracks, and then you know for a couple of days the lens will fall out, and I'll keep putting the lens back in, and then I'll get fed up, and I'll go buy another pair. Well, I'll wear that pair for about a week, and then the crack in the exact same place emerges. Well, finally happened to my third pair, and I said to my, one of my buddies, hey, I keep on cracking my glasses here, and I have no idea why this is happening. He looked at me and he said, dude, it's because you have a literally massive head. (laughs) And I was like, I received that truth. (laughs) I received that truth. Now, he's also the dude who told me it was a good idea not to shave after vacation, so his judgment may not be good, but his words are honest and true, right? He has candor. He tells me the truth as far as he knows it, and so I really value his opinion. Because I know he'll tell me what I need to hear, not just what I want to hear. And I want to be that kind of friend. Don't we need that kind of friend? One theologian says, our various family backgrounds have have left us all at least a little weird. Hmm? Left us all at least a a little weird. And that's so true. You know, in your own kind of family unit, there are things that are normal. Listen, they are not normal, right? (laughs) And you need a friend from the outside, a friend with perspective to be like, what is that about, you know? And once they say it, you're like, yeah, I don't know, (laughs) right? (laughs) We need that kind of candor, that kind of honesty. Now, of course, you know, this isn't about being you know, critical or looking for opportunities to lambast your friends. They will not be friends for long if you do. It's about speaking truth to them in love, with all gentleness, with all respect, in a way that, you know, they know that you're for them. It's what the writer to Hebrews means when he says, let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. As a community, would we be committed to each other to the point that we're, like, prepared to say the hard thing if it will make you better. Prepare to say the hard thing if it will make you healthier. Prepare to say the hard thing if it will make you more whole. You know that when friends do this for you, you don't always agree with what they say, but you know that they're for you, and for you unconditionally. And we all, we all need friends like that. So constancy, comprehension, counsel, and candor. God has made us his friends through Jesus Christ. And so now, because of that grace, we have an opportunity. An opportunity to love well as we have been so loved well. And wouldn't it be great if the record of eternity were to recall that this community had loved each other and loved each other really well. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for your word and the rich theology that's contained in it, showing us that friendship is not a created reality, but instead we were created for friendship. 
explaining why we struggle with friendships and giving us hope because Jesus has made us friends. And not just stopping with theology, Lord, but moving to give us very practical, concrete advice to live out this gospel life. So would we be those friends that are constant, those friends that seek to truly comprehend, who speak words of counsel and even words of candor, always with gentleness and love for the welfare of those who are near and dear to us. And Lord, would this community, would McLean, this church, this congregation, indeed, Lord, grow in this regard? Would we become better friends? Would we become a, a more uh, vibrant, faithful gospel community? Uh, Lord, we know that that would be good not just for us, but, but for this world that's in so desperate need of you. If we would live as that city on a hill, others would be drawn to you because they would see something here that they would long for. So help us to live out the gospel uh, by walking as true friends, always with our hand in yours, our true friend, Jesus Christ. Amen.